All right, so Numbers 35, you summarized in a couple of words. Uh, what, what, how would you do that? Numbers 35. Cities Special, of cities. Special cities. Special cities. Cities of the Levites. Cities of the refuge. Cities of the refuge. Uh, the point was brought out in class uh, on Wednesday that the Levites did not uh, receive a land of. They would not receive a land of inheritance, but rather they would be given cities. And how would those cities be distributed? How would you describe that? What what is what does the Bible record say about how those cities uh, of refuge? Uh, and just the Levitical cities, how would they be distributed among the tribes? Probably a number of ways to say this. Okay, one way is to say on the cities of refuge, you've got three on the Transjordan, and you've got three uh, on the other side, right? So we've got we've got three cities, and I'm going to do this very generically. Uh, I had a slide to show you, but it didn't work out. So, we've got three cities of refuge on the Canaan side of the inheritance, and we have three cities of refuge on the Transjordan, across the Jordan. Okay, so that's one way of describing how these cities would be distributed. How else would you describe that? Yes, Mary. Um, well, the others were throughout the land. The tribes that had a larger amount of land would have more cities. Yeah, they had more to give, and so they would give more. And the, tri- the, the tribes with fewer cities would provide fewer cities for the Levites. Uh, and describe then in general uh, the cities' uh, purpose. Yeah, how would you describe their purpose? A place that someone that uh, had killed someone could go. Okay, okay. Specifically, the cities of refuge, a place for someone who had taken a life to flee to for some level of protection. All right, and we'll get into that more in just a bit. Uh, Other purpose. uh, The cities were a safe haven for those who had unintentionally killed someone and so that they could have a trial and not just be struck down. Yes, yes. The other cities, uh, Levitical cities that were not cities of refuge, what was their purpose? And I'm I'm thinking maybe a couple of things here. Well, they were a place for the Levites to live. And they were not given Yes, And, And they not only got that actual walled city, but they got what else? Land the, the land around it. And again, if you describe that, how would you do that? How would you describe how much land they got? A thousand something. Yeah, so it was a thousand to the east and a thousand to the west and a thousand to the north and a thousand to the south. And so it's described as two thousand on each side, uh, outside the walls, generically speaking, right? And to sustain them, yeah. Ah, but why else? Why would, think about this, why else would the Levites be spread around all the tribes of, of Israel. For To what end? To what purpose? Well, one would be um, they were, they, it was prophesied, I guess you could say, in Jacob's blessing uh, that they would be spread among the tribes. <clears throat> that the tribe of Levi would be spread, spread among the tribes. But the other reason which is probably one you're looking to for, what end? Yes, is to um, 
one of the functions of the Levites was to teach the law. And if everybody who can teach the law is in one location, then not everybody really has access yeah, to it. So yeah. to make it possible for everybody <clears throat> to be taught yeah. holiness and such. Yeah. To have that, to have that, mm, that influence of holiness spread among the people to be that influence to be like yeast to be like yeast uh, build on that to be like sorry to be like salt and to be like light and uh, it all does it not just make you think about the fact then that who are we to be in this world but an influence a leavening uh, influence for good of, for to shine the glory of God among the world that that we are and we are. <clears throat> I'm still not clear on all of this about the the intention of Israel to be priests. I know it ended up being that the tribe of Levi. Uh, were the special servants and it was from the sons of Aaron that the priests came yet as they approached Mount Sinai God de- declared that he intended for the whole nation to be priests and somehow they didn't exactly play out that way and it ended up being a smaller set but I think the intention was that all would be and the same as it is for us that we as Katrina points out well that we are all to be priests uh in God's kingdom, in Christ's kingdom. And thus, we're to be that leavening influence, that holy to the Lord uh, influence in the world. And maybe one way to think about all of Israel be, being priests is that they were to be priests in the sense of being examples and, and such to the world as opposed to themselves. So the Levites were the priests to the Israelites, the Israelites were the priests to the world. Uh-huh, yeah. Maybe. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I'll come back to that. <clears throat> also, the Levites were the ones that at Mount Sinai actually chose to follow God. That is true. That is true. The, yeah. It wasn't just a designation, but it was a response yeah. uh, of their so they, commitment. They were all supposed to be ambassadors, but not all of them chose him. So he said, okay, well... I'll choose the ones that choose me. Yeah. And there's some indication that when they came to Mount Sinai, God instructed them to come near. They appeared to come near, and then later it appeared they kind of separated themselves because uh, they had to call them back again. And so in not staying close, not having that zeal perhaps for God, they couldn't fulfill what what God had really intended. Um, the You think about where Israel was located... Um, in in the world and and you've got you've got the them placed you've got them placed here in this in this central location in the world because down here you've got Egypt and over here, you've got, you know, you've got Babylon, you've got Assyria, and they're placed in a crossroads of the ancient world. And 
perhaps why else were they placed there? Why did God choose the land of Canaan for this people to dwell? I mean, sure, it was a land that was described as flowing with milk and honey, but were they not placed there on this on this transportation route of the ancient world, but to have that leavening influence for good, to show the world what a great God uh, made everything, and that they should serve and bow down to versus the idols. But again, they didn't carry that out very well. And uh, we, I have to ask myself, how am I doing at carrying out my task of being that influence in the world? How am I showing others what a great God we serve? How am I showing others and telling others about the salvation that that is offered in Jesus? So we have these. Yes, Katrina. Well, I think we see all throughout the biblical history that if if the one that God chose won't do His bidding, He'll choose the one that will. Mm-hmm. And whether that's in Israel or whether that's Nebuchadnezzar, yeah. it doesn't matter. He's going to choose the one that's central to the story yeah. that's going to do his, that's going to shine his light. Yeah, very good, very good. So we have these Levitical cities uh, spread throughout the tribes, and then we have these six cities of refuge uh, that are specific. As was said, if life was taken, and I think Sarah is one who pointed out, if life was taken unintentionally by accident. It was assumed, evidently, that if life was taken, what was the natural recourse? If if someone's life was taken, what was supposed, what was expected, evidently, to happen? Another life. Yeah, that that the one who took the life, their life would be taken. Okay, and uh, uh, life for life. Yeah, yeah. Genesis, Genesis, chapter nine all the way from the very beginning uh, lays out lays out this uh, premise as uh, as chapter 9 begins God blessed Noah and his sons he said to them be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth uh, verse 2 and the fear of you and the terror of you shall be on every beast of the earth and on every bird of the sky which with everything that creeps on the ground and all the fish of the sea, into your hand they are given. Every moving thing that is alive shall be food for you. I give all to you as I gave the green plant. Only you shall not eat flesh with its life, that is, its blood. And surely I will require your lifeblood. From every beast I will require it. And from every man, from every man's brother, I will require the life of man. Whoever sheds man's blood... By man, his blood shall be shed, for in the image of God he made man. And as for you, be fruitful and multiply. Populate the earth abundantly and multiply in it. So, what does that tell you? What does it tell you about life? What does it tell you about the blood, where the life is? What does it say? How does God view that? It is special. And it's so special that if life is taken, then the life that took it is to also be taken. And I, I guess I'm, I'm understanding there where it makes the reference to, uh, to the beast there in, in Genesis 9 and verse uh, 5. 
if uh, if an animal were to kill a man, then that animal's life would be taken. And if a man takes another person's life, then that man's life is to be taken as well. So, life is sacred. Life is special. And if it's taken, there's to be a corresponding punishment. So, if you take someone's life, you either did it intentionally or unintentionally. If you did it intentionally out of malice and anger and revenge, if you premeditated, your life was to be taken. If you did it unintentionally, there still has to be a payment. Life has been taken. Now, then you have these cities of refuge. So, I kill someone, obviously, we're all about preserving our lives, so I flee to a city of refuge, and what happens next? According to this, and we, we read we read more about this in, uh, in Deuteronomy, I think it's chapters 19 and 21 as well, which provide corresponding instruction, but if you, if, if I took Life, I flee to the city of refuge. What what happens? There is a, essentially there would be a trial. The congregation yeah. would judge between the person the, who did the killing and the person who would be there to avenge the blood, the nearest relative. Yeah, I think even <clears throat> well said. I think even before that, somehow the elders of the city play a role, and they seem to. To uh, be uh, provide some uh, level of, of, of analysis, but if a trial is to take place, it is brought before the congregation. It appears even as if they left the city of refuge, perhaps uh, to have this trial somewhere outside the city, um, because it's 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 pointed out that uh, if they're found innocent, then. Uh, they are they are brought back in verse chapter thirty five and verse twenty five. They're, they're restored to the city of refuge to which he fled, and then he would be he would reside there. Okay, so you have this trial. If you're found guilty, you're put to death. If you're found innocent of murder, then you're still guilty of manslaughter, slaying someone's life unintentionally, and. Your punishment for that is what? Mary. Staying in the city of refuge until the high priest that was in office dies. Yeah. So you're banished. You're banished to the city of refuge until the death of the high priest. So is your banishment the punish the payment? Is that the is that the the uh, payment for your sin? Is your sin atoned for by your banishment to the city? And what I'm wanting you to think about is the answer is no. Because it's you're, you're not absolved until the high priest dies. I'll tell you, when I read this the first time, I was scratching my head big time. It's like, well, what, what sense does that make? Well, what sense does that make? How could the death of the high priest remedy, atone for your accidental taking of someone's life? A life for a life? It is the life for a life. 
And it's not just any life, though, is it? It's the life of the high priest. It's the life of the who is well, what makes him special. He's the one that goes in on the day of atonement. He's the most holy. Place. Yeah, I mean, think about it. He's the one who has this direct access to God in the, into the presence of God once a year. Again, where's the turban with the 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 words across the the gold band? Holy to the Lord. And when that life dies, now you've been redeemed. You've been then bought back. Couldn't couldn't uh, couldn't pay a ransom though, could you? To get out of that, you couldn't pay a ransom to avoid the death penalty if you were a murderer. And you couldn't pay a ransom to get out of your banishment. You had to stay there until the proper price was paid for your sin. Interestingly enough, that the Hebrew word that uh, describes the taking of a life, whether intentionally or unintentionally, is the same. It's the same, it's the same word. And I believe it's the same word that we find in Exodus chapter 20, uh, Thou shalt not kill, verse 13. So, we've, we've got this, so you think. You know, how, is this, how is this instructive to us? And you're probably, you're no doubt already thinking, you know, what is it? What is it that satisfies the payment for our sin? And it took the death of the one who was holy to the Lord. It took the death of the one who was called the great high priest. And I encourage you just to to go and and at least scan Hebrews chapters 4 through 9 and see all the references to to Jesus as our high priest and how how he is the uh, the the perfect sacrifice for our sin. Uh, Hebrews 4 and verse 14. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. Uh, Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 8, although he was a son, he learned obedience from the things which he suffered. And having been made perfect, he became to all those who obey him the source of eternal salvation, being designated by God as a high priest according to the order of Melchizedek. Chapter 6 and verse 19, this hope we have as an anchor of the soul, a hope both sure and steadfast and one which enters within the veil where Jesus has entered as a forerunner for us, having become a high priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. And just over and over again about how Jesus, um, in fact, uh, chapter 9 and verse 11, but when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things to come, he entered through the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this creation, and not through the blood of goats and calves, but through his own blood, he entered the holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. 
For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling those who have been defiled sanctify for the cleansing of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? And on and on and on. Ryan. Well, and in chapter 6, right before in 18, it talks about as uh, we who have fled for refuge. It's the same type Ooh. of image of us going Thank to, you. To Thank you. Oh, that is great. I'm telling you, are you blown away? Are you blown away when you start to see the connectivity? There is no accident here. We are we are to be we are to be so impressed with God and His plan to save us. Thanks for seeing that. So at the end of chapter thirty-five, back in Numbers, um, it emphasizes in verse thirty-three: "So you shall not pollute the land in which you are, for blood pollutes the land, and no." My version reads expiation. That didn't help me a whole lot. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> other versions. Uh, what what else do you have there? Atonement. Atonement. Yes. Uh, no atonement can be made for the land for the blood that is shed on it except by the blood of him who shed it. And you shall not defile the land in which you live in the midst of which I dwell. For I, the Lord, am dwelling in the midst of the sons of Israel. So Gordon Wenham uh makes makes this uh, concluding statement on chapter 35. He says, uh, this law is a reminder of some of the great themes of numbers. One, God walks in the midst of his people and they must therefore be preserved from all impurity, particularly that caused by death. And in the task of protecting the people from sin and making atonement, the priests and the Levites play the central role. According to chapter 35, it is the Levites who are the permanent inhabitants of the cities of refuge and therefore responsible for admitting manslaughterers. And it is the death of the high priest that atones for manslaughter and allows the guilty man to return home. Thus, the high priest of ancient Israel anticipated the ministry of our Lord not only in his life of offering sacrifice and prayer on behalf of the people, but also in his death. As God dwells among his people, uh, there is to be this, this holiness that is uh, preserved. And of special note is the taking of life. We were... Talking yesterday, we were out and about and commenting about uh, all the geese that are around and you know what a nuisance they are. And and yet, uh, while you might be tempted to take matters into your own hands, uh, you better be careful because you, you get caught. You get caught 
offending, uh, taking the life of a, a goose, there there would be a penalty to pay. Uh, you might even do you might even do jail time. I wouldn't be surprised if you could be put in prison for killing a goose. But how ironic that our that our country and our world allows the taking of innocent life. And there's no corresponding punishment. It just shows the further when we get away from God, things turn upside down. Alright. Anything else on maybe I beat that to death enough, but I think it's good to just to ruminate on this idea of how we can find refuge from our sin because of what Jesus has done and God was laying the groundwork for us to appreciate this in these cities of refuge that he set up among Israel. It, this thought is only half-formed, so... Okay. Um, <laughs> but I was just, it was just curious that started to think about the social structure that must have existed within the cities of refuge. So it... The regular inhabitants are of the tribe of Levi. Um, you'll have some priests in there. And then the people who come and move in um, rather quickly at night, um, <laughs> they are all, they would be all people who had taken another life. Intentionally, unintentionally, we'll sort that out. And they got to stay there. And all of the emotions that and that go through the mind of the person who has accidentally killed his friend, best friend while they were yeah. cutting, you know, uh, cutting wood in the forest. Um, all of that would have to be kind of like dealt with. And, you know, it's like if you were to have a, you've got a criminal record now, so you try to get a job with someone and you have to, well, well yes, I, I did actually kill someone. That's okay, you're one of those. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And it's just trying to figure out how, those people who have done this unintentional wrong are surrounded by the Levites who are in a perfect world, you know, teaching them about God's forgiveness as well as how to make atonement and how to follow the rules. and, and So not just and justice so, and, and, and such, but, but, yeah, but forgiveness justice and mercy. Justice and mercy yeah. and forgiveness and all of that. And it just, I don't know. It would be an interesting... I may have to start reading it. Yeah, and I think it, it should... Therapy. Say it again? Therapy. Yeah, yeah. I, it, it, I think it emphasizes the, the balance of God uh, <laughs> as we as we think about life. I too thought about, how does this work? You know, you're, you're, you're the near kinsman and, and your, your relative has been killed and uh, it's your responsibility now to put that person who's guilty to death. Uh, how does that happen, you know? Uh, what if he's bigger than you? <laughs> How are we supposed to accomplish that? But uh, anyway, all kinds of things go through your mind as you, you consider what that might have looked like and how that uh, played out. Again, the Tommy pointed out in class as well that the Avenger of Blood 
is also then known as uh, the same word is used to describe the uh, kinsman redeemer that we read about, for example, in Luke, uh, Luke in Ruth. And so we we understand that Jesus is our kinsman redeemer. And uh, here was a point, too, that I had not considered. That Jesus is the ultimate refuge portrayed by the city. The one in whom we take refuge. The church is not the city of refuge. Just like the church is not the ark in Genesis 6-9. through Christ is the ark. Christ is the city of refuge. And the church is the people who find shelter in the ark. Who find shelter in the city of refuge. So having a proper concept of of the church, I think, is also important. Uh, the, the, uh, the, the, The concept of church is important, but the church is not where the refuge is. The church is not where the salvation comes. That is in Christ. And it is... It is the church who is the people then who find that that refuge and that shelter. So throw that out as well. All right, let's get into Numbers 36. And before we do that, though, uh, I actually was absent for class when uh, Ryan got the privilege of teaching about the uh, the uh, numbering and then also about uh, Zelophehad's daughters in Numbers chapter 27. So let's go back and let's read first uh, from Numbers chapter 27. Then that will, I think, serve as a segue into chapter 36. So uh, do I have a volunteer reader to read the first 11 verses of Numbers 27? Ryan, please. Then drew near the daughters of Zelophehad, the son of Hepher, son of Gilead, son of Maker, son of Manasseh, from the clans of Manasseh, the son of Joseph. The names of his daughter were uh, Mala, Noah, Hagla, Milcah, and Tirzah. And they stood before Moses and before Eleazar the priest, and before the chiefs and all the congregation at the entrance of the tent of meeting, saying, Our father died in the wilderness. He was not among the company of those who gathered themselves together against the Lord in the company of Korah, but died for his own sin, and he had no sons. Why should the name of our father be taken away from his clan because he had no son? Give us a possession among our father's brothers. Moses brought their case before the Lord, and the Lord said to Moses, The daughters of Zelophehad are right. You shall give them possession of an inheritance among the father's property and transfer the inheritance of their father to them. And you shall speak to the people of Israel, saying, If a man dies and has no son, then you shall transfer his inheritance to his daughter. And if he has no daughter, then you shall give his inheritance to his brothers. And if he has no brothers, then you shall give his inheritance to his father's brothers. And if his father has no brothers, then you shall give his inheritance to the nearest kinsman of his clan, and he shall possess it. And it shall be for the people of Israel a statute and a rule, as the Lord commanded Moses. Okay, so there's a quandary here. Uh, a father has no sons, no uh, 
way for then his clan to carry on a name and to have uh, to have an inheritance. And so the question is brought: Is there is there not some remedy to this solution to this quandary? And so uh, they have an issue; they need an answer. And so the case is brought to Moses. Moses brings the case to the Lord. The Lord gives an answer. And then the people follow uh, and do just as the Lord commanded. So we see that playing out here. And so the answer is, well, uh, you can continue to have an inheritance because if you have no... uh, if you have no son, then, as verse 8 says, it, it shall transfer the inheritance to his daughter and so on, so that it stays within that family. Alright, so now that brings us to Numbers 36. <clears throat> and there is a further issue uh, going on here. And... Yeah. Sarah, would you read uh, chapter 36 for us, please? And the heads of the father's households of the family of the sons of Gilead, the sons of Maker, the sons of Manasseh, of the families of the sons of Joseph, came near and spoke before Moses and before the leaders, the heads of the father's households of the sons of Israel. And they said, The Lord commanded my Lord to give the land by lot to the sons of Israel as an inheritance. And my Lord was commanded by the Lord to give the inheritance of Zelophehad, our brother, to his daughters. But if they marry one of the sons of the other tribes of the sons of Israel, their inheritance will be withdrawn from the inheritance of our fathers and will be added to the inheritance of the tribe to which they belong. Thus it will be withdrawn from our allotted inheritance. When the jubilee of the sons of Israel comes, then their inheritance will be added to the inheritance of the tribe to which they belong. So their inheritance will be withdrawn from the inheritance of the tribe of our fathers. Then Moses commanded the sons of Israel according to the word of the Lord, saying, The tribe of the sons of Joseph are right in their statements. This is what the Lord has commanded concerning the daughters of Zelophehad, saying, Let them marry whom they wish, only they must marry within the family of the tribe of their father. Thus no inheritance of the sons of Israel shall be transferred from tribe to tribe, For the sons of Israel shall each hold to the inheritance of the tribe of his fathers. Every daughter who comes into possession of an inheritance of any tribe of the sons of Israel shall be wife to one of the family of the tribe of her fathers, so that the sons of Israel each may possess the inheritance of his fathers. Thus no inheritance shall be transferred from one tribe to another tribe, for the tribes of the sons of Israel shall each hold to their own inheritance." Just as the Lord had commanded Moses, so the daughters of Zelophehad did. Mala, Tirza, Hagla, Milka, and Noah, the daughters of Zelophehad, married their uncle's sons. They married those from the families of the sons of Manasseh, the son of Joseph, and their inheritance remained with the tribe of the family of their father. These are the commandments and the ordinances which the Lord commanded to the sons of Israel through Moses in the plains of Moab, by the Jordan opposite Jericho. Thank you. So in chapter in chapter twenty seven, we had the daughters of Zelophehad coming before Moses, but it's not the it's not the uh, the daughters this time. Who is it this time who comes before Moses? 
the the yeah the clansmen, the uh, the chiefs, because. It's not the daughters who are necessarily worried about what's going to happen, but the the men of the tribe who are worried about their land inheritance passing outside of their tribe. Because wow, if these daughters who now have been given an inheritance marry outside of the tribe, then the inheritance will pass to that new tribe into which they married, and it brings into the the. Discussion the land of Jubilee, at which point then it becomes, I guess, final at that point. Uh, And so, quandary number two. What do we do if we don't have a son in the family? Can we have an inheritance? Chapter 27 said, let's inquire of the Lord, and yes. So here, similar quandary comes. What if they marry outside the tribe? And so the acknowledgement is that uh, what you have stated is correct. So again, they, they, there's an issue. They bring it to Moses. Moses brings it to God. God provides an answer. And the answer in this case is what? They have to marry inside the tribe. The daughters have to marry within their father's You can marry whoever you want as long as it's within your tribe. I was uh, telling some yesterday, I I saw an advertisement for uh, Toyota's making a new Sienna van, kind of an off-road version of this van, and uh, and it noted, you can can order it in any color you want, as long as it's black or gunmetal gray, I think they called it. (laughs) Isn't that a joke about the old Model T? Mm -hmm. How did that go? Yeah, you can... Uh, Henry Ford, you can order it in any color you want as long as it's black. Uh, <laughs> and that's kind of like it is here. Oh, uh, you daughters, you can marry anybody you want as long as, as, long as it's within the tribe of Manasseh. <laughs> because the intent was that the land would stay within that tribal allotment. Uh, that, was, that was very important. And so... And so we have this uh, conclusion brought. Now, I guess the the understanding is is at the time that this question came up, the daughters seemed to not be married, and then once uh, and maybe their desire to be married is what brought, maybe brought this to the forefront. I don't know, <clears throat> but again, uh, the uh, the matter is taken to Moses. Moses takes it to the Lord. The Lord gives an answer, and the people follow. Is there is there a is there any learning for us in that? I have not. I have not really considered that before, exactly like that. But you know, is that not how we ought to deal with our questions? We got to. Oh, and do we have questions? Of course we do. Uh, but what do we do with those? How do we resolve these these relationship with God as we live in life? And because that's what this is. Okay, I'm living life. I want to please God. I seem to have a quandary. Well, you're right. You do have a quandary. So what do we do? Well, in this case, the people brought it to Moses, their their spiritual leader. Moses didn't pretend to have unique insight knowledge. He just took the matter to God. God provided an answer, and the people followed that. I think I think the model still follows today. That uh, that's how we ought to we ought to deal with questions in this way. And, and seek God's guidance, uh, utilize the, the leaders that He has provided in order for that to come about. 
And so we have this we have this uh, answer given, and the, the the daughters did just as they were instructed, and married uh, those from their their uncle's sons. Interesting, though, if you go back to chapter twenty seven, when this question comes up, what immediately follows this question about Zelophehad in chapter twenty seven? Because in chapter 27 and verse 12, God tells Moses to do what? Numbers 27 and verse 12. Go up the mountain and save the land. Because you're going to die. All right, so we've got the Zelophehad daughter's issue. Moses is given this... uh, this uh, instruction, you know, his his end is coming near, and and then there's the question about, well, who's going to take my place? And there's there's the uh, there's the choosing of Joshua, chapter twenty seven and verse eighteen. Take Joshua, uh, the son of Nun, a man in whom is the Spirit, and lay your hand on him. Have him stand before Eleazar the priest and before all the congregation, and commission him in their sight. And we simply see in in verse 22, And Moses did just as the Lord commanded him. And he took Joshua and set him before Eleazar the priest and before all the congregation. Then he laid his hands on him and commissioned him just as the Lord had spoken through Moses. And now, then we keep moving on. And it's like, okay, Moses, I think you're supposed to go up to the mountain, right? <laughs> and then we have all these instructions uh, uh, about the land now that come come forward. And then comes up more about Zelophehad and, and his daughters. And I think we're supposed to hearken back to what followed before. The issue about Zelophehad, oh, remember Moses, you're supposed to go up on the mountain and die. Uh, so that the people can enter the land. So, uh, Wenham has this uh, comment that I'll, I'll share with you. The resolution of the case of Zelophehad's daughters in chapter 27 was immediately followed by the command of Moses to appoint Joshua as his successor and ascend the mountain to die. An unusually brief note records the appointment of Joshua, but there has been no further mention of the death of Moses. A full description of the handover to Joshua, Moses' farewell to the nation, and an account of his death are the subject of Deuteronomy. The reappearance of these daughters of Zelophehad right at the end of Numbers reminds the reader that God's last command to Moses awaits its fulfillment. Obliquely, they hint at a sequel to Numbers. At the same time, the story of Zelophehad's daughters does provide a fitting conclusion to the book of Numbers itself. The last group of six laws in Numbers 33.50 through 36.13 has been concerned with the land, its distribution, its extent, and its holiness. Indeed, the whole story of Numbers has been one of movement towards the land of promise. The last judgment Moses gave concerns the land and assets. Every one of the Israelites shall cleave to the inheritance of the tribe of his fathers. Formally, 
This is, of course, a statement of a legal principle forbidding the transfer of land from tribe to tribe. But theologically, like many of the laws in Numbers, it is a promise that the tribes of Israel will always dwell in their God-given land. In, in the words of Genesis 17 and verse 8, I will give to you and to your descendants after you all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. On this strong note of hope, the book closes, inviting the curious to read on to see how God's purposes were worked out in the subsequent history of Israel. So it's a little bit of a teaser to cause you to want to read further to figure out, now, how's Moses going to come to an end and how's Israel's uh, uh, lifeblood going to continue in the vein of this promise that God, uh, that they would always dwell in the land. So what about that? What about that everlasting possession? Craig, you've spent time in Israel. Is is the belief alive and well in places that uh, that Israel is going? That 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 land is is intended to be the uh, the dwelling place of the people of God forever. Yeah. It, They're still waiting for Messiah to show up. Yeah. Were God's words in Genesis seventeen true? Are they are they being fulfilled? Are are how does that fit in with our hope? Is 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 the land a part of that, Josh? Yeah, my mind goes to all of the other physical things that God set up for Israel. So, like you've got the temple, yeah, tabernacle, <clears throat> the temple, and we can see how that's fulfilled in Christ. We got the city of cities of refuge, yeah. and the mercy that that brings, and that's fulfilled in Christ. We see the land inheritance, and that's fulfilled in Christ in a spiritual way. So, yeah, yeah God promised them a, a physical fulfillment, but it was always pointing to a spiritual fulfillment. Yeah, yeah. And I think I think we we need to be firmly uh, understanding of that as we read the Old Testament, and then as we have our our own hope today. All right, I'll uh, I'll send out a note uh, later, hopefully this evening, to give you a clue as to what we will do in class on Wednesday. But thank you.